You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on Wealth Tech on Deck. Great to have you back. Each week, as you know, we talk with industry execs and leaders about their strategy regarding this whole notion of the unified managed household. Increasingly, we're talking about that because that's what seems like what's on everybody's mind and certainly on their lips. So today, I'm really pleased to be talking with my friend and colleague, Steve Zushin. He and I work together closely at Lifefield. And uh, I thought it might be useful to have his perspective since he's at the table with not only the tech and operational side of of, uh, our clients, he's responsible for tech adoption with all of our clients across the industry, but he also has a deep experience, uh, long experience as an advisor and also in working with RAs and RA firms and uh, independent advisors as well. And uh, really has a great sense for what the advisor wants and needs, and that leads to advisor adoption. Also understands what the client want and need, and that uh, leads to client engagement, and then how technology can serve all the above. So, Steve, great to be back together again, even though we spend have multiple conversations each day. It's great to be back uh, talking about the stuff that you're hearing from clients. I thought our listeners really benefit from hearing what your day-to-day conversations like sound like as you talk with uh, so many of our clients. So, welcome. Good to have you on Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks a lot, Jack. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's dive in. Why don't you describe a little bit what what you do day to day? I I know you're in multiple meetings with multiple clients each and uh, every day. Why don't you just frame that for now just so our folks uh, understand? Because you're kind of, you have a front row seat to all the building that's going on around the whole concept of UMH. Yeah. So from a high level, you know, the role that I play in these meetings is, as you already said in your introduction, I, I work with these firms on adopting our technology not just in the simplest form of like integrating into our API, but really how to leverage that. You know, a lot of the time what we're talking about with these firms is how to use LifeYield to better optimize a household to achieve better after-tax results. So there's a lot to that, including the client experience, the advisor experience, and how they communicate that. So when you're building software, if it's just about optimization, that could very easily be in the back room happening where no one sees, understands, or talks about it. In this new era, the importance of client engagement and really transparency has taken a front row seat. So you got to arm your advisors with tools that they can use to really overcome objections and answer questions that clients might have. We all know clients are more informed and have access to more information than they ever have. And uh, tax efficiency specifically is uh, coming up more and more as a topic that people are interested in. Why don't you take uh, our listeners through where you start? Because what we've come to learn, like so much around the UMH, we've learned it the hard way by trial and error and by fits and starts. We've been at this thing for 13 years at least, trying to figure out how to get folks engaged and know how to produce better outcomes. It's really the client engagement, the advisor adoption that's the challenge. And one of the things we've learned and love to have you chat about this is it usually starts with one thing. So what do you talk about that and uh, what we've learned over the course of uh, helping many firms build a UMH capability? Where does it start? So to be fair, where it starts has been different for each one of our clients. That said, you look at the offerings that Lifefield has and how we engage with our different partners And uh, I think it really boils down to looking at what's their highest priority item. That's usually determined by examining and segmenting the demographic of their client base. So for a firm who has a lot of clients who are approaching retirement and are soon going to be making that transition from 
their accumulation phase into a decumulation phase. There's specific tools that we offer that can be aimed at that type of client base. So, you know, it can be something as simple as starting an engagement around social security, how to optimize your social security income, and then how to coordinate that income with the rest of the resources or the assets that that client has to create better outcomes in retirement. For firms that focus more on ultra high net worth, it might be about how do we optimize our legacy? How do we pass on in the most tax efficient way the assets that we've worked so hard to accumulate throughout our lifetime? Firms that focus on a younger generation, maybe looking at the at the millennials or the, even the Gen Zs, it's going to be a lot more about accumulation and how to coordinate how you're saving and accumulating your assets in the most tax efficient way with the eye on the ball, looking at, okay, well, how are they going to transition into retirement? Even though that's so far away, we want to make that as seamless as possible least amount of taxes as possible, um, and really start telling that story to someone right away. So why don't you talk a little bit about, we know this well, but just for our audience that's trying to understand this whole concept of UMH, there's a high degree of complexity and just at a high level, it's taking data across all of the accounts, holdings, products that a, a client might have, then usually spread around among various custodians and advisors and what have you. So you get this jumble of stuff that's kind of all over the place. So a lot about, and maybe why don't you take, rather than me to explain what I often explain and understand, take the, our, our listeners through. It starts with the data being aggregated, and often that means consolidated. And maybe take through the journey and, and if you would, highlight the importance of coordination. Integration is a table stakes, but the distinction between integration and coordination. Maybe take our listeners through. What, what does it look like? What does the journey look like? Clearly, what we've come to learn, you need to start somewhere. And that has a lot to do with the client, particular client demographic for that firm. But then how do you build it? And that build, by the way, in case our audience might wonder, is built over many years. It's not built overnight. So maybe describe what that, what that all looks like as that flows through to create better outcomes for advisors and their clients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, over the last decade, we've seen a lot of advances around aggregation, just in how it works, how reliable it is, how accurate it can be. But, you know, what we found and what we've all learned is as more people have gained insights into aggregated data. So what we're talking about here is investment accounts that might be at different banks, different custodians spread out all over the place, which most people end up there. But still, even with really solid aggregation, you still just have a view. Right. Right. This is actually probably for the RAA audience. This is probably most prevalent in performance reporting tools. So there's been a lot of performance reporting and accounting that has been available to them to bring in accounts from different custodians, put them all in one report, do the accounting for the client to really give the client one report where they can see all their assets in one place. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those accounts are informed by one another. So when we talk about coordination, it's really about taking all that data in, having insights to all the accounts and assets that the client has, and how do we coordinate those in a way to work with each other to create better outcomes? One of the key things there is going to be around asset location. So optimizing for asset location allows you to implement a target asset allocation for a client, maybe based on their risk tolerance and investment objectives, um, in a way that's going to reduce tax drag. So when you have different registration types, it's really important to be able to take advantage of the different registration types and how those assets are going to be taxed within those accounts in a way to reduce that tax drag for the client. You know, most people think of taxes as like, ah, well, they can't really be that important, but plenty of studies have shown it can be the number one expense to an investor over their lifetime. 
Actually, a few years ago, there was a study by Hearts and Wallets that found that uh, taxes are uh, the single biggest expense that uh, an investor incurs and more than all the rest combined. So mm-hmm. healthcare, long-term care, all the rest of it. One of the things, if I also may just interject, Steve, just to put a number to asset location, which is so critical and, and largely misunderstood because it's relatively new in terms of the software's ability to determine how best to optimize asset location. But we've done a study, We've Lifefield has about $2 trillion under advisement. And our studies indicate that looking at all those assets, we don't see client identifying info, but we see the numbers in aggregate that the if you use our tax efficient score, Roughly, the average score on a zero to 100 scale is 53, which indicates the client is half as tax efficient as they could be for all the reasons you said. The money's spread all over the place. It's not coordinated. They may have an asset allocation at one place and a different one in another place, but it's not really brought together. Maybe talk about how the UMH really at the core, what drives this economically is the fact that it creates the opportunity to show the benefit and create consolidation. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't coordinate what you don't have control over, right? So when we're given a view or when we obtain a view of all the assets a client has, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of those assets can be coordinated and optimized. So that caused us to focus on how can we create some statistics and calls to action for that client to really understand what they're leaving on the table. So I think that there's a mentality among investors that has been born out of generations of you know, mistrust of the financial services industry. And in the mind of the investor, I think spreading their accounts or assets across multiple banks. I mean, we've been taught this, even if it's, it's subtle. I mean, a bank will only FDIC insure up to a certain amount of money. And if you have more than that amount, you have to spread your accounts across multiple banks, right? But I think that that's bled into where we seek advice. And if I might work with multiple advisors as a way of protecting myself. So it might be a defensive mechanism where I say, hey, I'm I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket, right? Jack, I like you a lot, but I'm not going to give you all my money. Sure. So I like somebody else a lot too. I like Sharon a lot. I'm going to give her some of my money as well. But what that does is it creates inefficiencies. So if Jack and Sharon aren't working together to optimize and make sure that all of my accounts are operating in an optimal way, well, there's not much to be had. So what we focused on is really that engagement. So how do we create these statistics and measure what that inefficiency is? And uh, I think that has really been groundbreaking for us. So. And if I could, Steve, it harkens back to where we started about engaging from the get-go. In other words, get that initial talk, maybe if you would, about using a specific example and maybe identify a firm, maybe not by name, using asset location as a way to engage advisors and have them engage in their client. I'm thinking one firm in particular where we're part of their proposal system where the tax alpha is demonstrated and there's a dollar benefit to that. But maybe just talk about that from an engagement standpoint and frankly, creating the opportunity to make the case for asset consolidation. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in that example, we're integrated into a proposal system that every proposal that's ran includes an asset location optimization as an option on how to move forward with that client. It uses some of our scores and some of our statistics to show what that's worth. And that's a path through rebalancing that the advisor can take their client to achieve optimal asset location. The benefit here is that it gets a conversation going early and then using our score, I think the natural next question for the client is how do we improve the score? And the natural response for the advisor is, well, first let's make sure that the score represents all of the accounts that you have. And it opens the door to talk about coordinating those accounts. 
the more accounts that they have as they start to utilize aggregation tools and share insights into what they have that might be held away, that provides more of an opportunity for the advisor to talk about the value. And so what we've done specifically is look at the dollars and cents. What is this worth to you, Jack? You have your account with another advisor or or multiple accounts and having these spread across might cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars over the next 10 or 15 years. So is the protection that you think you're achieving worth that? And it opens this door to an honest conversation about maybe what your expectations are from us and also what the opportunity is. Yep. And one of the things that uh, I think we've come to learn is uh, a couple of just demographic trends. More people are retiring every day at historical levels as we speak. They're retiring earlier, and there's all sorts of ramifications around that. Also, so not only are people uh, retiring at, at higher levels, when you turn 50, many studies indicate that people are more inclined to consolidate their assets just for administrative reasons. No, instead of all those paperwork and all those different account statements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, particularly as they move toward the retirement income, which we'll talk about next, their preference, their inclination is to consolidate so they just can keep track of it better. So you put the two together, more people retiring than historical levels, and also their inclination to consolidate. There's kind of part way there. Why don't you talk a little bit about, because Asset location kind of gets people started. That's during accumulation. But now that people are retiring, they also want to maximize their income. And I know we have a a client that has rolled out a robust income program that we can't name specifically uh, on our podcast, but I want to talk about that sort of transition of where we started with them with asset location into their proposal onto maximizing income. Maybe talk about that journey, frankly, just in time for all these people retiring at record levels and and the inclination to, to want to consolidate. Yeah, I think it's uh, what we call the tax smart withdrawal. You know, it's one of these things that people naturally want to consolidate their assets with one firm, one advisor, for the exact reasons you said, but not with a lot of education around what the consequences of that might be. So once you get down to it, Jack, you've you've shared these stats before, but you know, the average person at retirement is going to have six or seven accounts, and they're going to have advice that they have gotten from multiple advisors over their lifetime. And what that usually ends up happening is that those accounts aren't coordinated. They're all over the place. So what this client has done is they've integrated LifeYield to make a tax smart withdrawal that's informed and looks across all of the accounts that the client has across all the different investment programs to make an informed tax smart withdrawal that can manage capital gains. It can harvest tax. It can harvest losses. It can avoid wash sales across those accounts. That capability has opened a door to take something that was previously only available to people with you know, the ultra high net worth, really wealthy people who are paying high fees as a way to get that type of tax treatment as they draw their assets down. You know, This automation through their platform has now opened this door for every advisor under their roof to offer these services to their clients. Now, what a lot of people have run into in trying to approach this coordinated tax smart withdrawal or you know, retirement income sourcing, is really A, communicating the value of that to the client. So that's where quantification comes in, being able to run a strategy and compare it to many other strategies and show what is the value to you, Mr. and Mrs. Client, by taking advantage of this. But also just that period of time where someone goes from accumulating and saving and saving and saving and this mental mindset that they have of, I need to save as much as I can to prepare for retirement into, now I need to start spending my savings. And being able to show and provide value to them and and make that transition as smooth as possible is the key to a tax smart withdrawal. And again, that comes back to how you engage and communicate with the client 
and have that conversation with them on an ongoing basis. Right. You know, if you have a big demographic client base that's entering retirement, thinking about how to position our clients to move in that direction, it starts really early on. Mm-hmm. And every decision we make about their asset allocation, what accounts they're funding, what investments we're putting in those accounts, those all inform how smooth that transition is going to go for the client from accumulating into, into retirement. And so by applying things like asset location, we can prepare that client to make a smooth transition into decumulation. Yeah. And I'm just going to summarize a little bit here. Just again, want to make sure our audience is with us on this. We talk about this all the time and are immersed, but just so our audience understands asset location distinct from asset allocation, asset location basically is putting the, the right stuff in the right place, putting tax inefficient assets in your qualified account, tax efficient assets in your taxable account. Simply that's asset location. And you got to be mindful of the asset allocation that is desired by the client, which by the way, is awfully difficult if it's all over the place. So hence another argument for bringing it all together, which we're seeing now happening more and more, particularly as people are needing to draw income. It's You got to draw it from one place. You can't draw it from all, all over the place. It just doesn't, you can do it, but it's highly inefficient. So that's the accumulation phase. Of course, this continues even when you're drawing down because you want to keep that asset allocation, asset location in place, market shifts, need to buy a boat, you know, whatever might occur that things get out of whack. You need to be mindful of asset location as you go. Then there's the ongoing management, of course, just trying to keep it all going in the right direction. And then the drawdown that you've described. Talk a little bit about how does that get communicated, this drawdown, because that's the most complex for sure. How does that get communicated in terms of its value to the end investor and how are the firms that we're working with on these projects, how are they characterizing or representing or presenting this value? Well, our scores and our statistics play a giant role in that. So being able to share with somebody how making a withdrawal now within certain guardrails, so some clients might be more sensitive than others to maintaining a certain income level as it relates to their income taxes. So being able to fill up a tax bracket, show them why you're filling up a tax bracket. In our case, that might mean that we recommend making a Roth conversion, depending on the client, their tax rates, will they benefit from it? Which accounts to draw from and at which which level? So rather than just picking one account that we're going to pull money from, and maybe when we pull that money, we might do our best to pick the appropriate tax lots to manage what capital gains are being realized. But when we can coordinate that across all the accounts and the different registration types, it really allows us to meet the client's goals in the most tax efficient way with our eye on the ball for 20, 30, 40 years out to make sure that we're also maintaining a sustainable withdrawal rate for the client. So rather than kind of following this, what's traditionally been known as that 4% rule of thumb, um, this allows us to be more strategic based on a point in time when a withdrawal needs to be made, right? Because that 4% rule opens up the door for all kinds of risks that the client, the advisor, tend to want to avoid, like sequence of withdrawals risk. This allows us to really coordinate based on how the market's performing, which assets we're going to draw down, really maintaining with our eye on the ball around tax efficiency. So I'm going to move on to a new topic in a moment, but I kind of want to summarize here a little bit. What Steve's describing is what's underway today. There's a lot more to go. UMH is a destination and we're on the journey to UMH, all of us in the industry, certainly those of us at Lifefield, that's what we do. And there's a lot more to go. To use the baseball analogy, we're still in early innings on all this stuff. So for those of you listening and wondering where 
it's done. No, it's it's a long-term journey, and you may want to comment about that in a moment, Steve. But point being is that we're in the early stages of this journey, and it includes the asset location, the ongoing management. We haven't talked about household rebalancing. We'll save that for another podcast, but that's all parcel of the income generation. We can get into some details of that on a, on a future podcast. But point being is that you optimize or maximize the income stream. And we can also, by the way, doing this with some clients where we incorporate social security into the mix so that we're maximizing the uh, income withdrawal to include social security because there's certain ways to defer and so on. Again, for another day, I, I'm getting more complex than I really want to at this point. Point of all that is it's underway. Progress is being made. Firms are working on all this stuff. We understand that. But where I want to go, that's more of a summary on what you've covered so far, Steve. Where I want to go, though, is I'm thinking of a couple of firms that we're working with that are doing this on the wealth management side, but they also have a retirement business. And in the retirement side, what's happening is they're saying, well, we want to engage with participants that someday may become wealth management clients. So talk a little bit about some of the work that you're doing on the retirement side with Social Security, with some of the widgets that we've developed, and what's going on there. Because what I'm seeing, and I, th- I know you agree, is this convergence of the wealth management side as well, along with the retirement defined contribution side. Maybe talk a little bit about that, because that's much earlier stage in terms of that that evolution. Yeah. There's always been a lot of interest in the defined contribution side. I think primarily from a wealth management perspective, firms look at that as access to senior executives stock plan, ultra high net worth, right? So they see it as an on-road. Hey, I'm going to provide this service for you and the business that you lead as a way to gain a better relationship with you. But now underneath that umbrella of defined contribution is we've seen a massive movement in the topic of financial wellness, which can be a very broad topic. But if I summarize it here, it's about educating the masses. It's about creating content to educate people to make better, smarter decisions around their finances. And a lot of the time, I think those can lead to getting help, right? Seeking advice and outsourcing some services that you might think that you need to do on your own. So I think it's all about creating workflows. It's about leading people down a path, providing the level of information that's appropriate at the time. So you can almost think of it as leaving a trail of breadcrumbs where, Jack, maybe I can offer you some value to help you make a better decision or be more informed about when and how you file for social security. And at the same time that I offer that value to you, that if you choose to, you can take it, go implement it and do that on your own. I can also start to expose you to how social security and that portion of your retirement income can influence the rest of your retirement assets and how they might be optimized together. Now you can still go and you can take whatever I provide you, whatever insights and direction I provide you, and you can go do that and you might get a better outcome from social security. But as we have all learned that when I coordinate that decision with the other decisions I need to make around retirement, I have an opportunity to really enhance that and make my retirement assets be more efficient over my lifetime. So it's uh, an exciting time to be in our business. And for those that are in the process of building up platforms, which I know many of you are, as I speak with you and you make anecdotal observations about our podcast, I know there's a lot of people that are uh, quite interested in in how this all comes together. Steve is uh, on the front lines and working with our, our clients, having a full understanding of what advisors want and need to fulfill and to really support their clients. So it's exciting how this is all come, coming together in terms of uh, really improving outcomes, 
not only for the investor, and an Ernst Young study indicates that if you do what we're talking about, you're going to improve outcomes over time by a third. That's pretty significant. But that translates also for the advisor whose outcomes are, are improved as well because there's more assets under management, more consolidation. And as Steve has indicated, as you quantify the benefits of what we're talking about, it demonstrates the value enhancing their business. And of course, as that occurs for the individual advisor, their firm uh, certainly benefits. One thing we don't talk an awful lot about, but something else to be aware of at the firm level, certainly around the issues of compliance, that if you're using software to help you do the the next best action, as that occurs, uh, what ends up happening, compliance issues fall way down. In other words, they kind of disappear. So it's a win-win-win, as uh, our friend Nicole Kasperson really recently wrote about in her story on UMH that uh, Steve and I had the pleasure of uh, speaking with her about. So again, that's for another day as well. So Steve, um, we've covered a lot of ground. There's a much more to cover. We'll have to do this again. But in the meantime, maybe three quick takeaways of uh, what you might leave with our audience that might be beneficial as they're building their UMH or understanding how they might play in the whole UMH game. Yeah. The, the first thing I'd start with is that you don't need to boil the ocean. You just need to pick one thing to start on. The second thing, which is a fast follow, is just understanding your goal. So if you pick one item and we've built our, we've designed our API and our software to where it can really be applied in a modular fashion so that when you're ready to add more capability, depending on your own roadmap and capacity, having one vendor that can really act as this overlay across your entire, your entire firm, it allows you to come and pick and choose and add different capabilities of coordination along the way. So starting somewhere. So if the goal is coordination around retirement income, we can help you build that path on your way to coordinating for retirement income. And then the last thing is, you know, don't stop. I know that with resources, we need to have roadmaps and we need to be able to allocate those resources in the most efficient way. But, you know, Michael Leersch mentioned it in the same article you just you just mentioned on UMH, that this is an ongoing evolution. We're in this stage of innovation and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. So it's kind of, it's funny that we tend to treat our innovated roadmaps like there's a there's an end date to it. So just keeping that appetite for innovating, that we're not going to stop. We're going to continue adding capability and we're going to continue enhancing the experience for our clients and our advisors as we go out and serve the market. So our, our final question, which I ask each week, and you've been on the podcast before, probably get an update. Actually, last time I think we talked about Formula One, but this time we're going to think maybe talk about something you do for fun outside of work. And I know you've had some recent fun on your motorcycle. So fill us in on what you do away from work when you're taking some time off. Yeah. So those that don't know, I, I love riding motorcycles. I've been riding motorcycles, I guess, my entire life, really. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to commute on this old motorcycle back and forth and I'd sit out in the garage and I'd always ask to sit on it and beg him and my brother to take me out for rides. And the second I could, I'd ride my own. So uh, yeah, I recently just got a new bike and I've gotten into uh, adventure riding. What is it, adventure riding? It's a motorcycle that's designed to be able to get me to and from work, but also get me to and from anywhere that might not include pavement. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. And I, I know you got a new one because your old one got had a little bit of trouble on, uh, was it 93 in uh, south of Boston? <laughs> what, was, what was that story? Yeah, so uh, I had a little technical difficulty and my motorcycle broke down. And in the process of getting towed out of the HOV lane, it ended up being destroyed. So <laughs> I got to go shopping and do a little retail therapy and <laughs> got myself a brand new uh, motorcycle. So I'm looking forward to putting some miles on it. 
That's great. That's great. Well, Steve, as always, we uh, talk frequently. Fun to catch up. I'm glad we could share this with our audience. Uh, you're a font of wisdom on the topic of UMH and many other things, including motorcycles. So for our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, and, and or subscribe or share what we're doing here at uh, Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Steve. It's been a real pleasure, and I look forward to our next conversation. Take care. Thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.